0: Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report
1: Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at BaltimoresportsReport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans. Baseball, things considered. My name is Sam Dingman. And this is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid.
0: Baltimorons. Happy New Year's, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? Hope it is. Uh, hope hope that your reaction to 2015 was the same as mine. Uh, thank God it's over, and on
1: <laughs> to the next thing. Another rough one. I wrote in my journal on January first. <laughs> <laughs> the same thing he's written for the last 18 years. <laughs> That's right. That uh, that year when I was 15, though, that uh, was a winner. It was a winner. Wait, that's the worst possible year to pick as a winner, huh? <laughs> uh,
0: here we are on episode 133, the
1: current number of yahoos occupying a building in the National Forest in Oregon. Can you please, Alan Smith, explain that fucking situation to me? Because I have looked at the headlines and decided I do not have the emotional bandwidth for this right now. Um, long story short... A bunch of American patriots decided
0: that got enough assholes, was enough. Got it. <laughs> enough was enough, and the federal government had trampled upon their God-given right as Americans for too long by telling them they could not graze their cattle on national forest land. So, if you remember uh, uh, Clive Bundy, mm. remember that remember
1: that fella? Dylan's pop,
0: <laughs> uh, the rancher who. Became the darling of the Tea Party for standing up to the government, and uh, you mean the
1: gentleman who approached officials of the government with loaded weapons and wasn't shot? Correct. Got it. Yeah. Uh, so white fella, as I recall. <laughs> <laughs> correct. Um, so his sons and
0: about uh, you know somewhere in the neighborhood of 130 other folks are, are currently occupying a national forest building. Uh, of the Oregon branch of the federal government. Uh, They have explicitly threatened to kill anyone who tries to roust them out, and they have said they will be there for as long as it takes to make the case that the tyrannical government should give them back their rights. Now, what their rights are in this case is the ability to burn national forests. That's their right. That's their God-given right. And cow grazing is involved somehow? Sure, because they're all ranchers, right? So they don't want to have to tell their cows where they can and cannot eat. Um, They've decided that manifest destiny and all that. So if they see it, it is theirs. Thus willeth the Lord. Um, I'm really glad I did not read these articles. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so the the nuance... mm, Sure. We'll go with nuance. The nuance here is that <laughs> the gentlemen in question have already served some jail time for arson. They admitted that they are arsonists. This is not the question. The question is whether or not they should have to serve more jail time because the judge said you didn't serve enough jail time.
1: Got it. So that that's leaving out the whole walling themselves off in a building they don't own with weapons. Well, that happened afterwards. And that's threatening- That's a
0: response to the threat of more jail time. I see. So now, there are 150 of the motherfuckers, and instead of... Patriots, you, excuse you meant me, to I'm say. sorry. I'm sorry. i got to get my terminology right. Uh, 150 patriots, or 130 patriots. We're, we haven't done a direct headcount yet. But um, I want everyone out there in, in Baltimore on's land to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine a headline. And this is the headline, not the morning after... 150 white patriots with AR-15s have occupied an Oregon building uh, for their God-given right to put their cattle where they want. But instead, imagine 150 Black Panthers who have occupied a federal courthouse to demand that someone rethink the school-to-prison pipeline. (laughs) Now, I'm guessing that the first person through the door to speak to these Black Panthers is not going to be someone with a microphone from CNN. Rather, I posit that that person is going to be in a tank <laughs> and he is going to be shooting everything that moves.
1: Why am I laughing?
0: It's this much isn't more, funny. It's much more of a, you know, like a, a, a Waco, Texas situation than what's currently happening in Oregon. I just I just, just want to put that out there.
1: Well, um... I have three words in response to this scenario that you have have just laid out. Sure. God, damn it. That seems that seems appropriate. I was I was um,
0: I have a very sort of uh, a stereotypical take on the New Year's. I buy in. I don't buy so much into like the ball drop and the celebration and all that stuff. But like, I really buy into this like new leaf thing. Sure. January 1st 2016 is the new beginning it's sort of like a a, a a way for me to take stock in who I am as a person more than my birthday more than other points in the year I, I do sort of value that and I do sort of you know use that time and it's always a horrifying countdown to the first headline that makes me go ah. Oh,
1: Another year ruined. <laughs> this one took, I think, like 16 hours. <laughs> well, what do, you, what do we make of the fact that we stand poised on the precipice of another election cycle and another baseball season, mm. seeming to have learned nothing from the trials and tribulations of the previous year? Because I would say that that is equally true for both your Baltimore Orioles and for your Republican and Democratic presidential candidates we live I would say in clueless and broken times I think that that's I think that that's accurate um,
0: well I would say that 2016 appears to me to be a um, a year of potential green shoots and um, I see not only... Don't say shoots.
1: Please don't say shoots.
0: (laughs) Uh, Green
1: sprouts. (laughs) Uh, Please don't don't say outs. The Orioles won't be (laughs) recording too many of those defensively. (laughs) Uh, Assuming Giardo and Lee, um, which I think is safe safe to assume,
0: (laughs) Um, I think that the combined rhetoric of things like black lives matter and movies like the big short uh have put us in a position where at least we're talking about the right things and frankly like you know as much as i like to make fun of the good patriots out there in in oregon like they're not that big a deal (laughs) well they don't really matter and at least nobody has died yet no, and yeah, no one, as and as no, we roll tape and no, at no, nine no, fourteen no, PM, no one's, no one's gonna die in that situation. No yeah. one, there's not gonna be there. There will be no uh, bloodshed because, as we said, they these people suffer from a severe case of influenza. They are successful white men with guns,
1: which is a good position to be in America. <laughs> God damn it.
0: <laughs> No, but I'm in a darker place than you, Smith, if you you haven't picked up on that. I don't want them to be shot. I I, I think that there is a deep hypocrisy on both the left and the right in which people we don't agree with. We decide those people should be run out of town on a rail. Like I condemn violent action by the police state in all situations, even if I think in this particular case, I would rather they were taken out back and beaten with a
1: hose. But I don't want them shot. (laughs) (laughs) Just smacked around a little bit. Now you brought up hypocrisy, Smith, mm. and the movie *The Big Short*, and Woo. this is ostensibly a podcast about baseball. And I think there's a way to tie these oh, three oh, threads together. I'm there. I have a way myself. Oh, good. Okay. Yes. Well, let's let's uh, let's jump into this. Spending money
0: makes you money. It's been true in the American economy since 1932, and it is currently true in baseball. Now, for whatever reason. It appears that
1: Peter Angelos is willing to spend money this year. Suddenly the, the tax and spend liberal moniker <laughs> makes so much sense to me. Thank you, baseball.
0: <laughs> but you got to spend money to make money. You, 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 do. you, you can't rely permanently on – you can't convince yourself that you're a small market team in an economy today where that is manifestly not the case. And to be honest – there are no professional baseball teams that are small market teams. That doesn't exist in the, the era of gigantic revenue sharing and television contracts and this, that, and the other. That is a scam designed for a billionaire owner to choose to make a little more or a little less money on his investment on a baseball team. We can all do just fine and maybe take a couple million dollars loss but probably not because that's not how you know that they, they, they could they could figure out more ways to make money off these teams if they wanted to
1: well and calling a calling a sports team a small market team conjures up this quaint image that someone's taking a loss on the deal and the only people taking a loss are the fans Taxpayers often and the taxpayer for the new stadium. Sure, by extension. Sure, and in the case of baseball, uh, probably the minor leaguers who are barely paid enough to uh, yeah. have a place to sleep. Absolutely, everybody else is making tons of money. Yeah, well, I even mean, even on the Kansas City Royals, everybody's getting paid hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars. Yes, they are not suffering. Um, to me, the
0: big story of the Big Short was that. We are a capitalist country when it comes to financial gains, and we are a socialist country when it comes to financial losses, which is to say when Wall Street's making a ton of money, that money goes to Wall Street. And when Wall Street loses a ton of money, we all chip in to bail out Wall Street. That is exactly what happens in baseball. (laughs) (laughs) When the Yankees are going great, the Yankees make a ton of money. When the Yankees are like, well, we're not making exactly how much money we would like to be making. Why don't you buy us a new stadium? The taxpayers chip in and pay billions of dollars. OK, in this particular case, they did not actually pay for the new Yankee Stadium, but they did give the land for free. And they're not charging the Yankees any taxes on that land, which is essentially taking a huge chunk out of the Bronx tax budget, which really cannot afford to lose
1: that big chunk of money. While the homeless shelters are overflowing.
0: Yeah. So it, there there is there is a logic to baseball that absolutely mirrors the logic of the big short, which is to say the people who have a lot of money can use that money to make more money. They use it very effectively and God bless them, except for when they don't do it correctly and they somehow need to be helped out. Then suddenly we've forgotten that this is a capitalist system and it's a dog eat dog world and that, you know, you 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 go to you. You, you play your cards as you're dealt and you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and instead you return to the city of your uh, baseball or currently football teams as three teams consider picking up and moving to L.A. and basically hold your city
1: hostage for a lot of handouts. Well, and this, this also references something else that I find very troubling and that The Big Short brought up for me, which is this notion that we should in times – Good and bad. Should we issue a spoiler alert, by the way? No. Spoiler alert. No, people should already know about this. <laughs> people should already know about this. That's true. And they should go see the movie. Yep. And, and I say that as somebody... I'm not saying that, like, I knew about... I completely understood this and you idiots didn't. I knew as much about it as probably... Everybody else listening did and was vaguely angry about it and had read the big short and was furious but didn't really understand the depths of why I should be furious. And then I went to the big short and now I have an incrementally better understanding of it. It's so fucked up that you would have to read the big short, listen to the This American Life episode, The Giant Pool of Money, go see the big short Rinse repeat <laughs> so many times before you wrap your head around how fucked up this one incident right. of greed run amuck is. It's not a case where I get it or we get it and you guys don't. It's a case where it's so twisted and disgusting that you need multiple exposures to the fine details of it to come to terms with the ripoff that is being perpetrated on all of us. I don't think baseball is quite that bad. I think that the the, the financialization
0: of the American economy has, has its fingers in baseball, but it hasn't sort of like jumped all the way into the pool <laughs> in I, the same way it has in the mortgage crisis. I'm
1: going to say I think there is a baseball connection. Oh, yeah? I think there is absolutely a baseball okay. connection. And this is something that comes up in the movie. So it's not like this is a point that I made up. Right. But I think well, Michael Lewis did write about both. <laughs> that, that's true. That, that's the baseball connection. Michael Lewis wrote Moneyball, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Okay, sorry I'm cursing a lot in this episode. I'm a little fired up. So, uh, the baseball connection is one of the reasons that the financial industry is allowed to perpetrate the horrific crimes that it perpetrates is... And I know they're not technically illegal, so they're not technically crimes. Well, some of them are but, technically illegal, but also that's the problem: <laughs> is that they're not technically illegal. Yeah, part of the reason they're, they're technically illegal—they're just not
0: enforced illegal, right? Like the shit that Moody's and S and P were doing is technically also illegal, just no one went to jail for it.
1: Right. Sure. Of course. Uh, nobody investigated Bernie Madoff. No. Because we were too busy looking for phone calls between people named Abdullah. <laughs> who have A-L hyphen in their last name. Yes. The, the baseball connection, though, I think, is that they're able to get away with this because we are so easily distracted. That's true. Shiny objects. We are so easily distracted. And if there is one argument for advanced sabermetric analysis that I wish was made more, it's pay attention There's a larger story happening. And if you look more closely, you can actually see how the gears of this beautiful system that seems like a magical phenomenon work. And it doesn't mean that you have to dispense with all the beautiful poetic mysteries that we associate with that system. But why not try to understand them at a more granular level? pay attention because it's really interesting. Yeah. And in some cases, it's really disturbing. Hmm. And that doesn't mean that you have to hate it and it's hopeless, although I realize I'm speaking in somewhat hopeless terms on the program here this evening. But the information is there for you to engage with and try to wrap your head around.
0: So here's a question for you, um, Bal- Uh Does the amount of staggering doublethink that Sam and I seemed to be capable of, which is to say (laughs) like active condemnation of the entire system that allows the professional sports apparatus to lurch forward, whilst still deeply emotionally caring about the outcome of a set number of games within that apparatus. I think that both of those things are deeply held. Like, we're not, you know... That, 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 the, that the living and dying with the Baltimore Orioles is not a, uh, uh, a put-on, and neither is the frustration with the system. Do you Baltimoreans struggle with that double-think, or do you just ignore one side or the other? Because for me, holding both things in my head recently— and acknowledging that I'm holding both things in my head has made watching sports less enjoyable. And that happened to me for football more. And I've stopped watching football. But I am still watching professional soccer, which has its own, uh, you know, nefarious bullshittery. sep <laughs> Except- Bladder <laughs> yeah,
1: just just to just to name one. Uh, we should do a whole episode episode about that and call it bladder chatter. Oh, that's good, but please continue. Uh, he doesn't understand, by
0: the way. he he's 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 on record saying, I don't know what I've done wrong. What's the problem? <laughs> he He just got suspended for ten years from from FIFA and he still is just going with the deny 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 tactic that works so well in so many situations.
1: Well, he is a what? Uh, 82-year-old rich white guy. Yep. What does he have to lose? He gonna be all right. <laughs> He's gonna be fine.
0: No one makes it out alive anyway, so... <laughs> you can't take it with you, buddy. <laughs> uh, but but I, I'm really curious for anyone listening, like, uh, do, do, does the double think stick in your mind? Does the, like, the fact that we could end up paying Chris Davis... million to play baseball and be excited to do so, does that mess up the product on the field for you in any way, shape, or form? Um, Because I am worried that it will for me this year. Uh, It has in other situations and my sort of like overt conscious double think is starting to like blur the barriers and and make it messy. Um, And I would be curious to hear whether your coping mechanisms, Baltimoreans, is to ignore the stuff that Sam and I are always upset about with the American economy, or ignore the like details of the contracts and whatever else is happening in baseball, and just look at the on-field product. You know it's so interesting
1: that you're saying that because the next question I was going to ask you at be morons on Twitter <laughs> is that you. The question that I was going to ask you as you started posing this question to the wondrous Baltimoreans is. Are you Alan Smith concerned that we appear to be sitting down every other week and ha- and have been sitting down for now 3 years to make a podcast that the more we do it seems increasingly to point towards the reality that sports is a dangerous toxin?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um Okay, so first of all, I would definitively differentiate between sport is dangerous toxin and Americanized professional sports as dangerous toxin. Okay. That's so fair. sports I think I think it's in a different category and the movie Hoosiers will always make me cry. There you go. <laughs> um, but I do think that much like here we go, much like the current American financial system the American professional sports experience can be saved. And I think that there is something that we do here that even if what we are doing here is shouting into the void, that there are a few not particularly substantial tweaks that could be made to the process of professional sports that would cap some of the ridiculousness and the profligateness of the, the experience Without decreasing what is lo- lovely and wonderful about sports. And you know what that is? That's exactly why we started this podcast at the very beginning to crowdsource and <laughs> purchase the Baltimore Orioles, turning them into a nonprofit that does not serve the individual financial needs of a family or person, but instead serves the financial needs of the Baltimore Public City school system, which.
1: Good Lord could use some help. What about the fact though that John Angelos turns out to be the coolest oh, dude in the, the world? Coolest cat. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's an interesting question. So John Angelos is one of the coolest motherfuckers apparently that's ever roamed the earth we've said Um, it before but please listen to the episode of a podcast called edge of sports that features an extensive interview with john angelos but this is exactly it right and this is why financialization is
0: so fucked up in the american economy and why the big short doesn't get everything right because the big short does a very interesting job of telling the story about a few individuals who are very caught up in a larger system and it makes it personal and it makes it about personal decisions most of the time That's not what's going on. Most of the time, people are people's decisions are set by a set of deeply, deeply disturbing. And I think fundamentally incorrect incentives. What am I talking about here? Um, A CEO is often paid not in dollars but in stock in their own company, which means that a CEO is incentivized to keep the price of that stock as high as possible. That means they have to get the short-term value of that stock as high as possible constantly, which means they have to make money in the short term all of the time. That has nothing to do with the long-term health of their company. That's a bad incentive because what you're saying is – You should do what's right for your company in the long term, even if that means hurting yourself all of the time. That's dumb. I could tell you about 75 more incentives that we've set up in the economy for short-termism, bad, localized, crappy incentives. John Angelos is working in a system where he has to play – by a set of really, really ridiculous rules. He has to play in a world where all the other owners are holding their cities hostage. He has to play in a world where if the faculty, if the facilities at Orioles Park at Camden Yards are not top-notch, he's not going to get the best free agent money. He has to play in a world where Scott Boris is out there trolling people for as much money as he can possibly get because that's how he gets his rocks off. He has to live in a world where... Uh, you know, the people he's competing against, and I think he does a pretty good job in that world, but he's still living in a world filled with absolutely rotten incentives. And I bet you, if you put a mic in his face and asked him, would you rather be running a nonprofit dedicated to the city of Baltimore that happens to put a great baseball product on the field over what you're currently doing, I'll bet you he says yes. But I'll bet you the dude who owns the royal doesn't say yes, and the dude who owns the uh Padres doesn't say yes, and the dude who owns the uh, Astros, the dude who owns the Angels, the dude who owns the Angels, those dudes are people whose bottom line is very single, and it looks like win a championship, make as much money as possible. That also means that a lot of people who are working in the financial industry are not necessarily bad people. So you know that's true. They're just foot soldiers, or or they're people who are like, God, these incentives make me feel queasy. But like, this is my job. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I can either quit my job, and you know that the dude who was at the like saying like, Hey, it's easy to be noble, but I got a wife and kids. Like the either you quit your job and you turn your back on your student debt and all the sort of things that you did to get yourself in that position. Or you buy into the system enough to say, like, I'm going to hold my nose and be the best within this set system of
1: fucked up incentive structures as I can be. Sure. So the problem with that, though, yeah. is that last sentence that you said, I hold my nose and I do the best that I can within this terrible system of in- incentive structures as I can, has created another, I think, equally sinister problem that looks like a solution. And that is, for lack of a better phrase, let's call it. Billionaire benevolence, uh-huh. which is a total fallacy. It's not necessarily a fallacy in terms of their intentions, but in terms of a fix for the problems, right. it is hugely misleading and a terrible act of misdirection. What I mean here is George Lucas taking the billions of dollars he made from selling the rights to Star Wars and donating them to public education. It or means Bill Gates curing malaria, or or Mark Zuckerberg uh, deciding that he's going to donate. This amount of uh, so much of his money to the Newark public schools are doing is good on an individual basis or happen to agree with our politics on an individual basis. But it creates a false perception that there will always be some number of good hearted (laughs) billionaires to balance out the evil tycoons. And that is not a reliable thing to assume. It's not scalable, as we say in the tech biz. And nobody makes billions of dollars without participating in the corruption of the system. So the idea that we're going to rely on those billionaires to fix the problems that the system created is completely unrealistic
0: yeah it means our social change model is wait till someone gets so wealthy they feel obligated to give their money away
1: and it requires (laughs) the perpetuation of the very problems that, that much money but the very it requires the perpetuation of the system that created those broken schools and polluted that water and impoverished all those people right so the fact that one or two people who benefited from that system are now deciding to turn around and give the money back doesn't make up there's no way that Any amount of generosity on their part could solve the ever-widening crisis that that system has created. You know what the real outrage is, though? Someone
0: might not put Ken Griffey Jr. into the Hall of Fame on their first ballot. Oh, let's get into this.
1: (laughs) This ties into it all, my friend. Oh, does it? Oh, yes, of course. And forget Ken Griffey Jr. because... No, I won't. I don't mean forget him (laughs) culturally. great. I mean, Ken Griffey Jr. is definitely getting into the Hall of Fame. But will he
0: get in, will he Babe Ruth it?
1: No, because nobody.
0: Some old, (laughs) angry old sports writer will say, nah, not on my watch.
1: Yeah, and the fact of the matter is, nobody is ever going to get elected to the Hall of Fame unanimously, and that's fine. Sure. Getting into the Hall of Fame is an experience that 0.06%, that's way too large of a percentage, 0.00006% of the entire world gets. Of oh, the entire world, yes. <laughs> and I you say going to say
0: of baseball players, and I think that's still high.
1: That's still high. Yeah, so I don't care if Ken Griffey Jr. gets in unanimously. He's obviously going to get in. Yes. He's one of the heroes of my childhood, and I'm very, very happy for him. I want to talk about uh-huh. the controversy, the, one of the many Hall of Fame controversies that bubbled up this weekend because... It's the off-season, and we need something to be angry about. We just win and watch the big shorts. So (laughs) whatever it takes to get us fucking through April. So let's forget about the whole controversy with the washed-up old coot who compared the Baseball Writers (laughs) Association of America to ISIS. I don't want to talk about that because— there is enough insanity in the world right now. <laughs> yes. And that those are the rantings of your 70-year-old <laughs> drunk uncle at the dinner table. Sure. Ken Rosenthal published a piece over the weekend where he revealed his inner agita at the fact that this year he voted for both Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens for inclusion in the Hall of Fame. My goodness. After previously saying that he would never do so. And it revived the whole should people who are known to have used performance-enhancing drugs get into the Hall of Fame, how do we handle the cloud of suspicion that surrounds that entire era? Sure. Because that needed to be brought back. This is a way of thinking about it that I would like to get your response to. Okay. It's pretty likely... Yeah. ...that Michael Jackson sexually abused underage children. It was never proved in a court of law... It's pretty likely that it happened. Right. It's pretty likely. And in fact, I think there's video that R. Kelly sexually abused underage children. Yes. That one we have on video. It's pretty likely that Woody Allen sexually abused. Let's leave aside the fact that he married his adopted daughter. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty likely that he sexually assaulted another of his adopted children. Yeah. Mike Tyson was convicted of rape. Uh Uh-huh. Convicted of rape in a court of law. Sure. Has a television show. (laughs) Was in the Hangover movies. Yep. As a jovial, fun presence. Sure. I could go on. Sure. Cosby. Yeah. <laughs> we allow. Uh, it, it re, the only reason I left Cosby out is because with Cosby, it, the debate, the conversation is happening at this very moment. Sure. And it's unclear what the end game is going to be. Sure. If in three years we will be. I got you. I got you. I got you. These, these are all these are all decided facts. These are these are things where the scandal bubbled up. It receded, and we went right back to deciding that even though these people probably did deeply, deeply evil things, we're still going to accept them as viable presences in the cultural zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. So my point is that as a culture, we have apparently decided, and I, you know what? I'm going to have to take Mike Tyson out of it because Mike Tyson was convicted. Yeah. But all these other guys... No, he still fits, though. He was convicted, and he's back in the... Back in the saddle. But it doesn't make sense for this reason. Okay. I continue to feel that the standard, and I don't like that this is the standard, but the standard that we need to use for the Hall of Fame is, did you get caught? Then you're not in. And if you didn't get caught, even if it's suspected, you're in. And the reason I'm saying that is because that's the value we've decided on as a culture in America. And it's weird that we – and I realize that it sounds a little bit like I'm equating sexual assault and taking steroids to play baseball, and that's not what I'm intending to do. What I'm intending to do is to say that we're much more willing to debate the morality of athletes who might have put a syringe in their butt cheek (laughs) so they could hit 10 more home runs than – people who committed far more serious crimes.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think that it's... I mean, we talked last on last week's show about um, Chapman and sort of like the the propensity for uh, us to forgive our sports stars for abusing people or being, you know, terrible fuck-ups. But there are certain things we don't forgive them for, and one of them is cheating at the game that they are allegedly being paid to play.
1: Aroldis Chapman who, again alleged perpetuator of sexual assault made a an apparent possible trade radioactive at the time the allegations were came out two weeks later the yankees just fine pounced on the fact that that meant they had more leverage in a deal and traded for him yes that's disgusting that's pretty bad that's really gross pretty bad and I, I, we we level a lot of ad hominem attacks against the Yankees on this show. <laughs> that is not an ad hominem attack. No, that is disgusting. That's pretty gross. And if you're a Yankees fan, you should feel very bad about that. To,
0: in Yankees fans' defense, most of them seem to. Good. Yeah. Good. We'll see where they are by Game Thirty of this season when he's throwing ninety nine out miles per hour out of the bullpen. But so I guess uh, no, But so 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 here's a very interesting. Uh, Here's where I thought you were going with that, and I'm surprised to hear you say get caught versus don't get caught is the,
1: is the divider. Because I guess what me, I'm saying is hold everyone in the culture to a very high standard. Huh. And yeah. if you've decided that people who seem extraordinarily likely to have committed heinous acts are allowed to stay – and still be paid millions of dollars and showered with adulation and admiration, then don't turn around and look at a much lesser offense and get all fired up and ridiculous about it.
0: So for me, I actually think the comparison that seems the most um, clear to me is the, like, um, Thomas Jefferson versus Woodrow Wilson, how racist were they off? So Thomas Jefferson you know, uh, owned slaves. We know this, we know he probably slept with one of them. Uh, weird relationship there probably in, at least in today's moral compass, one of the most disturbing things you can possibly imagine. Dude still had some pretty good ideas, founder of democracy, blah, 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 blah. Woodrow Wilson, president of the United States, a couple, uh, centuries later, um, Was also the president of Princeton um, and is currently sort of under, I will say, historical assault for his role as president um, of going through and systematically disenfranchising and removing successful black bureaucrats who had risen after Reconstruction into different levels of American government. Overtly racist. Lots of letters and memos where he basically said, uh, you know, this is for racial reasons. We need to push these black people out. Uh, and he's, on, he's in writing as saying the same. To me, in my own weird little moral universe, what Woodrow Wilson did is worse than what Thomas Jefferson did. Uh, if the two people did both of those things today, Jefferson in a walk. But given the moment... And given the philosophy and given the sort of like knowledge of the time, it seems like Woodrow Wilson was more explicitly and aggressively going against the flow to be a racist dickhead, whereas Thomas Jefferson seemed to be doing a lot of things that like were status quo in the moment. I think that that analogy holds to me for the early era of steroids. I think that. Everybody was doing it. I think that getting caught versus not getting caught doesn't matter as much to me. And I think you 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 have to judge them against the moment in which they were playing. So I don't think that their records count against people who weren't using steroids. I think that the asterisk is in play. But I think that to to discount them for moral reasons given the sort of like – the, the the stew in which they were playing and the incentives, again, to use that word, that they were being offered, which is if you don't do this, you're out of baseball and you don't get to make any money playing the game that you love versus do it. Everybody else is doing it and we're not even totally sure if it's illegal yet, right? Because, like, who knows? Um, we don't actually have any sense of what this does for us or to our bodies or whatever. And it's only sort of looking at it in the cool, clear light of 2015 that a lot of these people start to seem morally reprehensible now if you fast forward to current stars i think that you have more of a problem if you're getting caught with steroids now because you have a little bit more of a woodrow wilson situation here where (laughs) these people are totally aware of how society has continued to look at the situation they're totally aware that Um, medical science is advancing at a clip where you can do plenty of legal things to dramatically help your case, both in terms of fitness and to get you back on the field if you're injured. And that like the comparative advantage of HGH versus like getting all of your blood removed and turned into a spinner and put back into your body is like not that different. (laughs) Um, So, you know, fundamentally I think if you cheat now you're just being an idiot
1: (laughs) i'm just being a dickhead (laughs) like (laughs) i think i agree with you as far as hall of fame balloting is concerned okay the thing for me is that i think there's a larger conversation about what we've decided we're going to pay attention to yeah as americans and the fact that we're all apparently i'm speaking in generalities comfortable sitting here and debating the chemical content of HGH versus a platelet-rich plasma injection and getting into the fine details of that, but we're willing to ignore the overwhelming corpus of circumstantial evidence against somebody like Michael Jackson or against an institution like Goldman Sachs. Hmm. That stuff we're willing to completely let slide because – they haven't been found guilty of anything, so we just assume so just that to, there was probably nothing going just on.
0: Just to play devil's advocate, though, uh, th- and this is – I'm not sure if I believe this, but at what level do we need to keep our heroes? So um, Michael Jackson, an interesting case. Martin Luther King Jr., uh Probably unfaithful to his wife. Um, doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, probably problematic and sort of like an interpersonal. If we were his friends and hanging out, we might be like, dude, that's fucked up. What are you doing? Doesn't seem. There to, are
1: the same stories out there about Cal Ripken.
0: Doesn't seem to devalue his um, uh, messages of peace and humanity in the same way that I would argue maybe – maybe I'm willing to argue this that Michael Jackson's sort of fucked up sexuality doesn't necessarily devalue uh beat it as a musical piece um or 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 uh our sort of like cadre of rock and roll stars in the 50s who were you know fr- fucking Frank Sinatra Frank Sinatra who uh was very uh, yeah, an alcoholic womanizing dick, but that doesn't seem to detract from, like, dude could sing. <laughs> um, sure. So maybe one thing that we are struggling to forgive about steroids is that they are in the genre that which we, like, lionize these people. So, for example, if we found out that Frank Sinatra was lip-syncing the entire time and some other dude with zero charisma was piping in his vocals over that, we might be like, "Okay, whoa, (laughs) whoa, my life is a lie. (laughs) My life is a lie." But, but we are more willing. I'm just sort of off the cuffing this, but we're more willing to accept um, things that are 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 foibles in our heroes if they don't overlap with the thing that. We lionize them for.
1: I think my answer to that is going to sound like an oversimplification, but it's really true. I, I'm done with magical thinking. <laughs> okay. I'm done. Okay. The world is so much more complex than that. And yeah. no matter how many times the what is often called the great man theory of history is debunked, we continue to cling to it. And this has applications in sports, it has applications in politics, it has applications everywhere that you look. We are much more comfortable with, I mean, if you want to get really ridiculous, this probably goes back to the Bible. (laughs) Yes. We are much more interested in a, (laughs) that's the Bible bell. (laughs) Not to be confused. We're much more comfortable with a wonderful, seemingly impossible story that, conveniently answers a lot of endlessly complex questions, then we are dealing with what Barack Obama has referred to as the two degrees theory, or two degrees, six degrees. This is a reference to the part in his interview on WTF where he said, my job is not to reverse the course of the ocean liner. It's to turn it six degrees in the direction I think it should be going. Yeah. And that's how... And Which is really a uh, a less lyrical way of saying what Martin Luther King Jr. said, which is that the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. Hmm. And I guess what I'm saying is that I'm sick of the idea that we think that there is a purity, and even more than a purity, a duality to any situation that we're going to encounter in life. It's what you said earlier, that we have to hold all of these things in our hearts. And- go in the direction that seems to represent the brightest future that's the best that we can do and heroizing people and assuming that they are beyond reproach is guaranteeing ourselves disappointment
0: but isn't that the same as saying fundamentally that if we didn't if they didn't get caught then they're in
1: yes and i realize it hasn't come through but my larger point (laughs) is that we need to stop paying so much attention to the individuals and uh, start looking... And this goes back to what we were talking about with The Big Short. We need to stop paying so much attention to the individuals and start paying more attention to the system that creates the individuals and the environments that yield the behaviors of these individuals. Because those are the things that need to change if we're going to move the ocean liner those six degrees. And that leads me to... Another thing that I have been thinking about that I am not sure I'm entirely comfortable with, but I'm realizing is true, which is that I think Hillary Clinton would be a better president than Bernie Sanders. Ooh, doggy! And the reason that I think that is because Bernie Sanders is running as a hero. And the things that he, there is a heroism in the fact that he is giving voice to these Concepts that clearly resonate with people and saying the stuff that you're not supposed to say about the financial industry. But in terms of the larger point here, a single issue candidate is never the right candidate to lead the country, in my opinion. And I would say that uh, I think I have revealed my progressive stripes more than once on this program, let alone this evening. <laughs> I think you know it's possible that some people would listen to this and assume that I'm feeling the burn, and I am feeling the burn. I think Bernie Sanders should be Secretary of the Treasury, <laughs> but or maybe the uh, or maybe the Chairman of the Fed. I don't really you know either one is fine, but. I thought there was a very revealing moment in the interview that was published, leaked, it's a little hard to say which one it was, (laughs) of Hillary Clinton's meeting with the Black Lives Matter protesters in New Hampshire earlier this summer, where they were saying to her, listen, you need to recognize that these issues are really important. And she said to them, I thought very eloquently, no." I don't need to recognize that these issues are important. I recognize that they're important. You need to help me understand how we can pass legislation that serves these ideas. Because that's how change happens. And that's how this country evolves. Those are the rules. And I don't like that those are the rules. I don't think she said I don't like that those are the rules. But that's the way it's going to happen. And if that is not the way that we channel this energy then all of this will have just been noise. So I think that the
0: great failure of the Obama presidency is that we didn't listen to him very well in 2008 because he kept on saying, uh, this is not on me, y'all. This I agree is on with you completely. Everybody else. This is on you guys. This is on us. This is on us. Barack Obama is a
1: better president than we deserve.
0: <laughs> well, he, but then he didn't govern that way. I mean, he also then
1: took... In the first term, in the first term,
0: he didn't. He he took OFA and he turned it into a, a fundraising apparatus instead of an organizing apparatus, and he could have, he could have made different decisions about how he marshaled the resources that he had at his disposal. So it's not. I mean, it's not. But it's it's on us because we didn't listen to him, and it's on him for not doubling down on what he was talking about. I think that Bernie is saying the same things that Clinton is saying. I think that if you listen to like, I think I can I can find you ten clips of him saying, you know, the difference between Trump and me is that uh, because they're often compared as sort of like uh, uh, more extreme versions of their party's platform that could never actually win, and he says the difference between Trump and I is that um, Trump thinks he has all the answers, and I think that I don't have any of the answers, but I trust people. The, the rabble, the hoi polloi, the, particip- the participation of people to, to lead us out of the darkness. And I think that like fundamentally my concern about Clinton is that she is incapable of being as radical as that. She's incapable of saying um, when the spotlight is on her that she will put – time and energy into supporting those Black Lives Matter activists in making that case. And instead, she will sit back and blame them for not making a compelling enough case to pass legislation. Whereas I think that we need somebody currently who, I mean, again, I I take it more back to Wall Street than I do anything else, but we need someone currently who is able and willing to not do that. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and because I don't think I think in black lives matter, I think in civil rights issues. We the people do have a game plan for how to put pressure on the government to change things, but for the banking industry, we don't have that game plan. No one's figured it out because the interests are so differently aligned and the average American person has so little understanding intentionally. That's that's the goal of the bankers. That's the goal of big banks in general. We have so little understanding of how the financial services industry work that we don't even know what we're mad about most of the time. We just have a general sense that this is like kind of fucked up. So I I don't think – I hear you on the one issue thing. But I think that that one issue is such that it is a very important one and it's not one that is solved by – Via Hillary Clinton's politics or not just Hillary Clinton, any um, of that generation's uh, 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 political centrism.
1: Sure. And I think as we look to perhaps end this episode with (laughs) a somewhat more hopeful point of view, I think enough about the big short. I think a huge part of the reason that as we were discussing before we got on the mics The Big Short seems to be doing so well at the box office is because Bernie Sanders has been out there banging the drum on this all year long. And And, and Occupy Wall Street
0: was banging the drum on it before that. Absolutely. It's been been a drum beat that has been building.
1: And The Big Short was published before Occupy Wall Street was even a thing. The the book version. And and we're leaving out tons of other people who have been screaming into the megaphone about this issue for a very long time. However... It's at a fever pitch right now in large part due to Bernie Sanders rallies all over the country for the last year. And that points at a larger thing that we've touched on a few times in this conversation and that I think is a really good place to end this perhaps, which is that if nothing else, something that seems to be in the zeitgeist right now, thanks to the tireless efforts of a lot of single issue people, is we're starting to have these conversations much more visibly and at higher levels than we have at any time that i've been alive Mm -hmm. at least and and i'm not an old person but i'm not a young person you know and we're having big conversations about sexual assault we're having big conversations about gun violence we're having big conversations about racism we're having big conversations about institutional racism we're having big conversations about poverty, we're having big conversations about the economy. We don't have answers yet, but these things are being debated on presidential debate stages and and are being dramatized in big budget popular entertainment films and are being discussed by celebrities who have two minutes to talk at award shows and decide to dedicate that time to talking about this stuff rather than thanking their third-grade acting teacher Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. More and more, and we have television shows that are addressing these issues head-on, thinking of Jessica Jones here or Master of None, uh, Netflix, doing a great job with this stuff. Yeah. And maybe this has always been true to some extent, and it's just that there are so many more media outlets for these kind of conversations that the, the signal, the existing signal, has just been exponentially amplified. Right. But the conversations are happening. It's clear that Americans are wrestling with this, for better or for worse, in very public ways. And that is a hugely positive thing.
0: Yeah. What I think that that means is that the early um, 2000s are going to be historically a period of power realignment again, uh, which happens, I think, kind of once a generation, and it happened in the 60s, and it happened in the 30s, and sort of, it's a power realignment around um, which systems we trust to make change for us. Uh, And I think that one of the things that will be interesting to me is if and when Bernie Sanders is not the Democratic nominee, does that blunt the issue i think that the wor- the worst thing that could happen to bernie sanders message is to have him become president and i actually think i agree that the more interesting and more important system would be for people to realize that the president whoever he or she may be actually has much less to do with this than we would like and in fact it is up to a grassroots movement of individuals to do more to shift that one way or the other I think one of the big problems with Barack Obama is that we elected him. And then we thought, okay, we're done. Like, that's it. We've done our job. We'll see you in four years. Go fix all of this for us. Thanks, great man of history. Yes, there it is. Uh, And I don't think that that has anything to do with anything. Um, So we shouldn't re-sign Chris Davis. Give me Kim and uh, a couple other replacement-level outfielders, and let's do this
1: thing. Steve Pierce. Steve Pierce. Still a free agent as of this writing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think I think we're going to call it there. <clears throat> we should have called it about 45 minutes ago. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening, as always. We would love to continue this conversation with you on Twitter, at Be Morons. All of the political opinions uh, expressed in this podcast are held
0: only by Sam and Alan, not by the Baltimore Sports Report or any of our Sister Wife podcasts, whom we are very fond of. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the music on our show, of course, the Baltimoreans theme song written and performed by Marshall York, and behind my voice right now. The song Kicking My Heart Around by the Black Crows. Sam. Yes, sir.
0: What do you call uh, Henry Yerudia when he is the head of a uh, major uh, corporation and is acting in uh, what may not be the most moral situation, but instead acting at the behest of or the financial benefit of of his stockholders, I'm not sure. Do tell me. That would be Henry fiduciary responsibility, Rudia. <laughs> what?
1: Okay, I got one for you. What or do you call
0: Henry fidudrudiusciary responsibility? That's better. That's
1: better. Had Henry
0: fidudrudiusciary responsibility? Say
1: it. Say it three more times.
0: <laughs> Can't be
1: done. Um. Henry Fidurudia Shieri responsibility. There it is! Henry Fidurudia Shieri responsibility. Henry Fidurudia. I fucked (laughs) it up. I fucked it up. Here's one for you. Uh huh. What do you call Henry Arudia when he is victimized by a predatory lender and signs a home loan that there is no way that he will realistically be able to pay once the interest rates skyrocket? Ah. Underwater Rudy? Henry, you Rudy Underwater. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're having fun. Okay, goodbye. Happy New Year's! <laughs>